rock and roll. <laughs> Again, that's not what we do here. <laughs> Go ahead and take the speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome back to The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. My name is Hal Bryan and I am one of your hosts on The Green Dot. I'm EAA's senior editor for print and digital content and publications here on my left. I'm Chris Henry. I'm the EAA Museum Programs Coordinator. Over there across the table, scribbling notes furiously. Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. Now... This episode is uh, a sequel. It's our first uh, our first sequel episode, and that's only fitting. When you talk about sequels, you think movies, and that's exactly what this is. This is part two of Aviation Movies, but this time uh, we brought in a reinforcement. A returning guest is your second time on the show. That's right. Connor Madison, our... Uh, What's your actual job title? Staff uh, photographer. Director of visual imagery. <laughs> that and, sounds good. I like and that. artistic yeah. rule of thirdsisms, something like that. <laughs> Very good. Yes. All right. Well, good. Well, Connor, welcome back. Thank this you. Is, uh, we had so much fun doing this uh, the first time around, and we got uh, some of the best engagement and responses to the uh, the first movie episode. Um, people even wrote in, and we'll we'll hit those as we. Uh, as we go through the, the show, hopefully, but the people that were kind enough to write in and say, what about this one? What about that one? But, you know, I, I think at least arguably uh, the biggest movie that we referred to briefly in the last episode, but we didn't really go into, um, is one of the all-time classics of, uh, of aviation films, especially sort of the non-war, generally non-war aviation films, and that's The Great Waldo Pepper. Oh, I love it. The, the first time I ever saw that movie... Uh, was actually here. Uh, we were showing it in the in the, uh, um, in the Skyscape Theater, oh, and you the, presented that was, it. That was the first uh, first movie we showed in yeah. the Skyscape Theater for our monthly movie series for the museum. That's right. Yeah, we had the standard pulled out in yeah. front and everything painted had the up like it. Tiger Moth out there too. Yeah, because the Tiger Moth plays an interesting role in the movie. Yeah. So a great film. You know, Robert Redford, one of his best, uh, in my opinion. Um, Susan Sarandon, and. Uh, uh, it, Robert Redford is sort of a, a braggadocious barnstormer pilot who may or may not have flown with distinction in World War I. <laughs> um, it, it's an interesting movie. It's kind of, a, to me, it's a, I, I call it a double period piece because it's made in the 70s, and it's got some of that 70s movie vibe, but, uh, but set in the 1920s, you know, like something like The Sting. Um, so uh, fantastic flying that you mentioned the standard J1, the Sop with Camel and, and Fokker triplane replicas. And then it, it, it's also a cool look into the world of making aviation movies because the last, I don't know, what is it, maybe third or quarter of it uh, is about Robert Redford flying a World War I fighter in a movie uh, that they're making about, uh, about uh, the Great War and all the, the dogfight scenes and, of course, and the... He's not the Black Baron, but the yeah, the, the the villain uh, the, yeah. the the villain German pilot, clearly based on uh, on somebody like Richthofen, but he who survived the war. Um, powerful, uh, powerful movie. I always have to uh, have to call out and and Chris, I know you've heard this one at least a couple times before, but I have a quirky, uh, trivial personal connection to the movie, and that is uh, there's uh, there's a couple of different scenes when. Uh, we see a uh, Curtis Jenny in the movie that crashes. And uh, in one of them, you've got Bo Svensson as kind of a competing barnstormer. And uh, he flies into town, and then Waldo, like, like 
sabotages his airplane so when he takes off in his jenny the big wire wheels just roll away <laughs> now he's flying yeah. around in a jenny with no wheels and, and basically they they've sort of really did this they put tiny little caster things on there so that that they could really land then that airplane uh, is seen crashing into a swamp and this is of course you know uh 20 years or more before CGI. So they do, they really do crash an airplane, but they have a stunt double airplane. They use a, they use a De Havilland Tiger Moth that's been mocked up to look like a Jenny. And so for that last scene, you see it crashing into a swamp. <clears throat> it's an actual crash, but it's a Tiger Moth that's flown in there. Then later in the film, they do the same thing with another Jenny crash into this uh, Carnival Midway. They use a Tiger Moth for that. But the one that crashes into the swamp, you see it crash on screen in about 1973. Uh, then that airplane was, you know, was pulled out, disassembled, and put into storage with Tallman's Aviation. Frank Tallman and Paul Mance, biggest names in aviation movies. And it stayed in storage, changed hands a few times, but it stayed in pieces until 2006 uh, when it was restored and flew again. And about six months after that that first flight, uh, I gave my wife and my dad each a ride in that airplane. Their oh, first wow. uh, first rides in a Tiger Moth. Huh. And uh, you'd never know it. It doesn't look like the, the movie airplane anymore. It was a Canadian Tiger Moth, and it's in proper RCAF colors and configuration and stuff but um i always wince a little bit in that scene though but uh, but also it's a happy ending that you know that airplane sat dormant for more than 30 years but then now is uh, back flying regularly it's wow. amazing to imagine an era where it was uh well you know we don't really want to make an actual jenny crash right. Let, let's let's do a tiger moth there's enough of those around. <laughs> exactly you know? yeah it's, and you know of course now it would just be cg um you know certainly in the there's another interesting thing too about about Waldo Pepper because by that point, when you needed crash sequences in movies, generally we would have been doing models or, you know, stock footage. We talked a lot about that last time. In the 30s and 40s, when you needed somebody to fly through a barn or you know do a crash, you just got you got one of the barnstormer pilots who may be doing that regularly as part of their act anyway, and uh, and did it. So so even by the early 70s in Waldo Pepper, it was that method of filmmaking was almost a throwback to the to the era in which the movie was set well it's like when you watch uh was it 633 squadron or mosquito squadron they actually crash mosquitoes they actually burn a mosquito at the end of the movie oh right yeah and, i mean it's like that's unheard of today you would never do that but and, and that's an interesting pair of movies you got 633 squadron uh with cliff robertson yeah. the former young eagles chairman and tons and tons of great mosquito stuff great mosquito flying and everything else and then mosquito squadron came a little bit later reused a whole bunch of the mosquito yeah, footage yeah. and it's it's an inferior movie but you do see some stuff you didn't see in the first one yeah yeah like like at the uh yeah lighting an actual airplane on fire that was like at the end of dunkirk i won't give anything away but it was at the end of dunkirk i was like please tell me that's not what that airplane is <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah um yeah for the most part you know, hopefully people are smart enough not to do that. Like even Tora, 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 you see, uh, which we did talk about a little bit last time, but there's, you know, that movie was 1970 and um, there's some taxiable mock-ups that were, that were pretty well done, like P-40s and things that burned. But even by that point, we were smart enough to just build or burn giant models instead of, you know, really sacrificing a P-40. Did you ever see that footage of, uh, it, it's in the movie, uh, one of the P-40 mock-ups accidentally gets away from them. And yes. <laughs> there's, like, guys actually running for their lives during the attack. And this P-40 gets, like, it's on fire and accidentally uh, kind of runs away from the handlers. Now, an actual B-17 was crashed for 12 o'clock high, right, Chris? Yeah, that was true. On uh, 12 o'clock uh -huh. high, the film, 
And luckily, that footage got reused in just about every <laughs> aviation over, movie over. or film <laughs> after. Uh, but they did. It was a single pilot. Went up. I think it was it was uh, Tallman or Mance. Or, probably Paul Mance yeah. at that point. Yeah. But they actually went up and landed. He bought a B He actually bought a B seventeen. They gave it to him for like a dollar or something crazy. <laughs> uh, and then he wasn't allowed to keep it or something like that. Like there was a, there's an actual contract online you can go read. Um, and then. Uh, uh, he uh, belly landed the airplane, uh, you know, shears uh, goes through a couple tents and um, in a later in, in, in I know it's on our list here, but in um, in the war lover yes. and there's another one called a thousand plane raid. What they did was they took the F model that's now in the Museum of Flight out of the Boeing field. Uh, they they dug trenches and they rolled it down into these trenches. So it looks like it's belly landed, but it's actually just sitting on its geared in these dugout trenches. Huh. Um, and then they spliced in that famous crash scene. So, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, the war lover. Um, Steve McQueen, if I'm remembering right? Yeah. Anyway. Steve McQueen in a B-17. You don't get cooler than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that has the absolute most hair-raising B-17 flying you'll, oh, I think you'll ever see in any film. you got Paul Mance doing these low passes you know he's the he's the angry uh, disgruntled uh, aircraft captain yeah. and he's he is buzzing the field down below the the rooftops of the buildings you're looking down on this B17 just tearing between buildings it is absolutely stunning um, you know the movie itself is a is a decent film it's a, it's a little bit sort of it's slightly bitter darker darker film it's very much an anti-war anti-war film it's not a propaganda piece um, but 100% worth it for those flying scenes alone, or I think a lot of them, the standalone scenes are online, too. Oh, yeah. I love the way Steve McQueen drives a Jeep in that movie, just splashing through mud puddles. Yes. The mud's coming up <laughs> over his crews, riding on the hood and stuff, you know. So much cooler than uh, Nick Cage and Firebirds driving around with the underwear on his head, which we did talk about <laughs> in the previous yeah, episode. Yeah, it was, yeah. But uh, Steve McQueen does it cooler. <laughs> While we're still holding on to the thread of uh, Waldo Pepper, I guess I'd be remiss in uh, for, with my role here in the organization of uh, not mentioning that uh, I guess the CAA at the time is uh, <laughs> yeah. is inter- the the incipient CAA is yes. uh, is is introduced as a uh, as quite the villain in that movie. They <laughs> Waldo sure could have used uh, the help of our legal advisory council <laughs> getting him out of that uh, little jam right. there. <laughs> I love the end though when the CAA guys there. And they're up dogfighting, and they're kind of, you know, dogfighting for real. And the guy's like, you know, get him, Waldo. And everybody kind of looks at him. He's like, well, as long as he's up there. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, even uh, even the, the Fed comes around. <laughs> yeah. But that's uh, – we don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but that's – when I talk about that being a 70s film, the uh, yeah. uh, the arc that Susan Sarandon's character goes on. Yeah, that's, that's uh, very... And the uh, and just the overall ending. The ending is yeah. very nebulous, and that is that was very, very typical of films in the 70s. It's like you just get to a point, and we stop the movie, and the director sort of thumbs his nose at the audience. Hey, you figure out what happened. Yeah. You know, yeah. just make your own interpretation. Or they that just whack all the characters, you know, like... That can happen, too. I just watched an old movie called, like, was it like Dirty Mary and Crazy Larry or oh. something? <laughs> I'm an old Mopar nut, you know, and I'm like, oh, cool, old Charger. Everybody dies at the end, like, suddenly. You know, you're just like, what? What? You know, I was watching, like, they got away with a bank robbery, and they're just like, oh, and I get by a train. (laughs) It was like, they're just like, I'm done with this movie. Just, uh, here, a train. (laughs) So, Connor, do you have have a singular favorite aviation film? I I can't say that I... I have like an absolute I mean, favorite. You see these notes that I made for myself in here. This is my right. attempt to come up with a single favorite. Yeah, it exactly. is three pages. Exactly. So, yeah. But, yeah. There's a lot. Uh, I mean, so personally, uh, I mean, that's how that's like part of what got me into 
to aviation history, more or less, is watching like older movies. Um, even that, uh, not not an older movie, but Flight of the Intruders always was a favorite. I actually discovered the book first. Oh right, um, and yeah, then, Stephen Kuntz. Yeah, and like, oh, it's a movie too. And I think like you always hear everybody that is a fan of the book that they made a movie like, oh yeah, the book is better, which is true in this case. But I think um, you certainly don't have to read the book, and it's a great standalone movie if you forget about the book as well. What's interesting is I've talked to some A6 intruder guys from Vietnam who really, you know, it's kind of funny when you talk to Tomcat guys about Tom, you know, Top Gun, you know, they're all like, yeah, it was a cool movie, but man, it's, you know, when you talk about Flight of the Intruder, like, yeah, that was, that was a pretty uh, accurate depiction of, of what, you know, A6 mentality was like, what the A6 mm-hmm. community was like. Uh, they all felt that it was a, it was a more realistic film. I don't Definitely. know if Willem Dafoe's character I mean, would be. Uh, yeah, you know, certainly, certainly, but. yeah. The film is great. There's, I think, in the the book is just is longer and there's more yeah. in there and just yeah. really vivid. And I, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, Steve Koontz was an A6 yeah. pilot in right. Vietnam, so there's a lot of a lot of real firsthand experience in there. I am fairly sure he's uh, still an active EA member. I know he's been to Oshkosh. Uh, Years ago, we were talking about this right before the show started, he bought a Stearman called The Cannibal Queen, and That's he right. wrote a great nonfiction book about flying that and uh, just wanting to touch down in each of the lower 48 states and just a great way to see, uh, you know, no better way to see this country than, than in an open cockpit biplane. Wow. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in that movie, too, not not to give off any spoilers for anyone that hasn't seen it, uh, but there's a part where two Sky Raiders come in to provide oh, right. ground support, yeah. and it's probably some of the better Sky Raider footage you'd see out oh. there. Um, and I believe both of those are still flying to this day. I'm pretty um, sure Steve Hinton was flying one of them. Yeah. Because I yeah. Was actually just was interviewing him for another project of a few days ago, and we talked a lot about his movie flying, and, and I remember the Sky Raider scene in that, and then uh, his Sky Raider flying in We Were Soldiers, I love, too. That's right. You know, when that this, the Sandy, the Spad comes in and just starts, you know, blowing things up. And mm-hmm. saving, doing what saving, Sky Raiders do. Doing what Sky Raiders do, saving the good guys. Yep. Yeah. And... One more thing. No, good. Mind on that. Yeah. Um, the so one of the the two sky raiders that are in this scene um, for long it was owned by a guy named Jay Cullum and I believe he he was the other pilot uh, in the filming of it and his for a long time he had a palm tree painted on the under the canopy of his sky raider because he <laughs> hit a palm tree <laughs> oh during the filming of that. <laughs> uh, quickly before we get any further afield i do have to to say hello to clinton lee baker who uh, was one who wrote it and said uh, that flight of the intruder was one of his favorites as well and we appreciated him uh, him chiming in with that and that's that's one of those oh my gosh how did we miss that one it was well we missed it because apparently according to our producer podcast can't be 80 hours long <laughs> <laughs> he's over there shaking his head flight of the intruder is worth the watch just for willem defoe definitely uh, i mean cole virgil cole is just uh, he's just a fantastic uh, character in that movie. Then, and, and a nice thing about Flight of the Intruder was that it was a movie that was made during the the correct era um, to capture the actual equipment that they had in there because, yeah. you know, they were flying real A sixes, real A sevens. They still had that stuff in the inventory then. Yeah. Well, they actually painted on a cruise. They went on a cruise, um, had the A sixes, and they actually repainted the A sixes into the, uh, the squadron of, I think, Stephen Koontz. Like, it wasn't that current squadron, but they repainted the A6s into the Vietnam schemes um, for the movie. There's some pictures out there of, let's say they use four A6s, the whole mm-hmm. fleet is in the regular gray or whatever, and then there's these four that are painted in, like, the Vietnam. These retro colors. Yeah, and that's that, that was when they were cool. filming the movie. That's really cool. And the real Devil 505, yeah. 
the airplane, the, the star airplane, uh, is at the Yankee Air Museum in Ypsilanti, Michigan, being restored. Oh, so very cool. Yeah, you know the uh, it was a great point, Tom, because that was, um, you know, we all love the the F eighteen Hornet, but I have to say that there was something about that golden age of post maybe Vietnam and post Vietnam, um, even even going back a bit earlier when every airplane on the aircraft carrier was different. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you, you've got S3 Vikings that look almost like mini airliners. You've got the Hawkeyes. You've got, you know, A7s and, and earlier Vigilantes and, and F4s at different times. All this different stuff for different roles. And the F-18 is so capable that now pretty much everything on the carrier is either an <laughs> F-18 or a helicopter. So it's cool watching movies like Flight of the Intruder, another uh, absolute favorite of mine from eh, roughly the same era. Um a little bit, uh, a little bit older is the final countdown. Sure, yeah. which I can't yeah. believe didn't uh, didn't come up last time. How could yeah. that possibly not? We have showed come it up? here in the museum. Yeah, we yeah. showed it at the museum. You know, and it's one of those. It's great simplistic premises. You know, what if uh, a modern day aircraft carrier, modern in, in uh, nineteen eighty or so, somehow went back in time and showed up uh, a couple of days before Pearl Harbor, and what, you know, what what could they do? What should they do? Do they change history and things like this? And. Uh, um, there's that scene, and I think that was a movie that for years and years and years you couldn't really get a hold of it. It was not accessible for a long time, so it was easy to romanticize. Like, I remember that movie being nothing but two hours of dogfights between Tomcats and Zeros. Um, and, uh, you know, in reality, there's there's that one scene, and it's it's quite a bit shorter, but it's still just absolutely fun, fun movie. And, uh, in fact, we even did that little bit of a recreation of it uh, here was that two years ago during Air Adventure. I was about to say that you all know you were, yeah. you were involved in that one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And and so we had done a whole commemoration of Pearl Harbor, and then we had one of the zeros linger, and then we started playing some of the music from Final Countdown, and then some of the dialogue, and then we had uh, an F-18 chase away the zero. <laughs> and that was so fun seeing that with Dennis Dunbar. You know, he's been a guest on the show a few times. Both of us love that movie. And yet the difference is, like, I would have that idea. Wouldn't it be cool if the Navy would, like, fly an F-15 <laughs> or an F-18 how we asked them to? And then, but Dunbar's the one who could make the call and get them excited about it. So, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> really? So the Navy will just, that's cool. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about 18s. we got to talk about behind enemy lines, too. There's uh, oh, some good yeah, F-18 flying in that and uh, um, some... Uh, uh, what, what's the guy's lead guy's name? Uh, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. A new character. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. A, he's Orson from Orc. Yeah. It's, just... <laughs> it play, it's a really cool, uh, uh, you know, it, it, obviously it's about a shoot down, you know, but he's, um, the, the carrier stuff is pretty cool the way they do it. It's pretty well themed or pretty well shot. But obviously you actually had an aircraft carrier and a real Hornet. Um, but um, yeah, cool yeah. movie worth checking out. I always look for like hidden, like a little bit of airplane footage in weird movies. Chris, you were talking about movies that uh, have a little bit of flying in them, and we were also talking about movies where they're actually using real airplanes and not CG. One scene that I always thought was uh, was really interesting the way it was done uh, was if you've seen the movie Thirteen Days about the Kennedy administration during yeah, the Cuban yeah. Missile Crisis, F eight stuff, RF eights, yeah. and I always looked at that as like, wait a minute, those are real airplanes. Where the heck did they get a squadron of RF eights? Viva la France! Yeah. Well, no, actually, it was the Philippine oh, was Air right. Force. The, the French had already retired yeah. them, and, and the Philippines had two, but they still had them on the ramp. And what they did was they they painted the aircraft in the markings, and then if you notice, any time an aircraft is moving, you do not see the wheels. They're yeah, tugging them. Right. Yeah. And then they only, but, but it was really a great way of minimizing CG because they only use CG once they, once they go full, th you know, once they go for right. takeoff. 
Uh, and then even then, it's excuse me, the, the flying scenes are fairly minimal, so it, it 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 preserves the illusion, I think, really well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very well. I, I wondered that too. I'm like, how did they get F8 Crusaders? Like, yeah, you yeah. Know. And you, first, you think well, they're taxable mock-ups, but like you said, you you really it really stands out. You don't see the gear, you don't see you know these things. And the the taxable mock-up idea has been around for a long time. We mentioned Toro Toro Toro, Battle of Britain did it, all those kinds of things. Flying but, tigers, flying tigers. Yeah, yeah. those weird looking P40s in there, and right, with, they almost look like P. 40s but they're but, not <laughs> yeah and, but you can put an actor in it and drive it around on yeah. the, drive it yeah. around on the ground um so uh, so tom i you said you're talking about movies that aren't aviation related and it's got a little bit of aviation in it or something i thought you were going to go like much weirder and further afield than something that's still history based so i will see you that and i will raise you a film oh late 80s um called home fries it was written by vince gilligan who uh we know from the x-files and much more uh probably much bigger Breaking Bad starred uh, Drew Barrymore and Luke Wilson, Owen's brother. And it's a very odd, quirky little, uh, quirky little movie, but toward the end, it's got some of the coolest Huey Cobra flying. I think you'll ever see in any movie. And basically one character, it's a, it's kind of a showdown between uh, a car who's sort of somebody's trying to get away and a Cobra that is just down and in this car's face trying to stop it. So, uh, um, a quirky movie. I think it's fun. Most people don't like it, but if nothing else, zip ahead to the Cobra scene, and and uh, it's very cool. You know, last uh, last one in the in that theme here. I got to bring because I know we want to talk about hardcore aviation movies, but uh, can't buy me love. Uh, oh, old eighties yeah. movie. They go to the boneyard. Yeah, Patrick and, Dempsey, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. it takes her on a date to Davis Monthan. Yeah, yeah. And just, I love his line where he's he's showing her an F six F Hellcat in the boneyard. And he's like, our grandparents sure knew how to build stuff that would last. You know, yeah. it's like, oh man, that's just cool. You know. Yeah, I absolutely, uh, oh, I absolutely adore that movie. Yeah, it's a good flick. That was one of my, and I'm of the age too, where I would have been his character, same age, and you know, kind of running the numbers, thinking maybe, maybe his idea is a good one. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, maybe, yeah. but then, uh, then luckily, nothing I, ever happened to me like that to me mowing grass. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So back to uh, maybe more specific aviation movies. I, you know, since I wrote it off or, or brought it off track, I guess, I'll bring it back on track with Tuskegee Airmen versus Red Tails. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Tuskegee um, Airmen, the HBO, HBO movie, Lawrence movie, Fishburne. Uh, which I thought was really well done. Um, they used real airplanes. Um, I mean, it was very – for the budget that they must have had, they put together a really cool movie. They really the did. The base looked convincing. Um, they really uh, did their homework. You have an actual Benjamin O. Davis character in the movie. Yep. Uh, it's based on real events, you know. Um, the cool scene where they've got a T-6 that lands on the road. Yeah, actually happened. And, yeah, you and you, you don't see – I don't remember you seeing maybe more than two airplanes at once, one or two airplanes at once. So it's yeah. not like they had a fleet of Mustangs or a, yeah. a bunch of T-6s, as you said. But for the budget they had, it is much more credible. And, and frankly, uh, you know, sorry, George Lucas, uh, I love you, but much more respectful yeah. when you tell an honest it's story it's instead much, of – I'm not sure how you plan up. to tell the story of the Tuskegee Airmen without – a Benjamin O. Davis character in the movie. Right. I mean, um, and the thing about Tuskegee Airmen, the HBO one, was you could go home, young kids could watch that movie, go home, Google some of the people that you see in that movie, the characters, and they were real people and they would come up. Um, Red Tails, as cool as it was, it was fun to go to the big theater to watch a, a movie, an aviation movie on the big screen. Um, I just thought it felt 
like we missed an opportunity to honor the real guys, yeah. you know, who, who are still with us. There's some of them still with us, you know, Charles McGee. And we, um, you know, it came off more as of a comic book, which I think was his actual goal, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, you guys, are, Connor, you're a Mustang guy. Yeah, yeah, I've, you're you're spot on with that. I've... You know, Lucas was here. George Lucas was here at Oshkosh that year. That's the year he he was here, and he showed some he showed us uh, some preview footage, you know, pre-release stuff before the the movie aired. And it was at the gathering, and I was I was emceeing that night, and that was when you know my Star Wars dreams all came true, and I got a picture with <laughs> Lucas and Harrison Ford and chatted with both of them and. But uh, he showed this preview footage, and they, and it was an awkward moment because you've got these Mustangs, you know, doing aileron rolls straight up thousands of feet at 500 miles an hour, and, you know, all this, everybody's sort of skidding, and all the control surface movements are sort of exaggerated, and, and uh, you know, there was, there was polite applause, but then, you know, Lucas actually said to the crowd at the time, he said, well, that's, that's kind of what we wish the airplanes could have done, and Instead of, you know, we know it's really not very realistic. Well, okay, that's an artistic choice. But but uh, I, I hate it when we look, and I think we, we talked about this last time with stuff like Pearl Harbor and things like that. When you take something, such a compelling story like the Tuskegee Airmen, and then you, you imagine the people sitting in the writer's room saying, yeah, but how do we make it interesting and exciting? Right, mm-hmm. right. It's already interesting and yeah. exciting. That's my main criticism of, of uh, Pearl Harbor, even though we, we treated that one in depth and very kindly on yeah. the first episode. But, you know, we talked about adding stuff to make it for drama. Um, that's what Apollo 13, I think, got so right. We talked about Apollo 13. Right. Um, is the, it, there was a minimal amount of artistic license taken with that movie. The only time they really did it was just in the ease of telling you the story inside of the two hour, you know, long movie that it is, but they didn't create right. stuff on the grand scale. I mean, yeah, you didn't have a, a NASA subcontractor taking bribes from a shadowy Soviet uh, agent right, to sabotage right, right. the whole you thing or, you know, you know, nobody was, uh, nobody was smuggling drugs in uh, the, the lunar right, module right. or anything. Yeah. That's Apollo 18. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's, uh, you, have you seen Apollo 18? No, the movie? no. It's, uh, if I saw that movie, Frank Borman would kill me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, he, and he would be right to do so. <laughs> uh, a fun I, a fun concept, Apollo 18, is, you know, what if there really was a mission, but things went so horribly wrong that they, they never told us about it. Um, and the things that go wrong are the, uh, the aliens and stuff. But yeah. you cannot talk about fake apollo style space movies without mentioning capricorn one. Oh god um, capricorn one uh was about uh about having to fake the mars landing and then uh um and you've got uh, i think it was elliot gould you've got oj simpson <laughs> so that's already just dates itself in such a weird weird way and the whole idea is uh these are the real astronauts we're really going to mars then we find out that we don't have the budget but we have to do this to save face. So they set up to fake the landing. Then the astronauts find out that the script for their fake landing involves them dying heroically on the surface of Mars. <laughs> so then they all take off. Tons of cool flying in it, though. There's a huge 500s chasing people through the desert and stuff. Oh, wow. And uh, spoiler alert, I think O.J. Simpson is the only one who survives, but it's been long enough since hmm. I've watched it. The but it is a like... ridiculous 70s romp, but tons <laughs> of fun. And of course, that uh, had a hand in launching all of the uh, ridiculous moon landing conspiracy theories. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. My favorite, uh, and this is a tired old joke you guys have heard a million times, my favorite response to the, the people who talk about faking the moon landing is that, yes, it was fake, but Stanley Kubrick was such a perfectionist, he insisted on shooting the whole thing on location on the moon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, 
maybe we should bring up uh, current uh, movie in production, Top Gun 2. What do you think? Top Gun 2, yes. Maverick, I think, is the, the working title. So Tom yeah. Cruise, Val Kilmer coming back. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, we mentioned last time in The Rocketeer. She's That's really uh, cool. She's in it. She is apparently, I think she's a single mom and who runs the runs the, the bar, whatever okay. the, I, so I don't know if that makes her sort of the equivalent of a Miramar uh, Pontro Barnes or, awesome. <laughs> or, uh, or what she turns into. And then apparently uh, um, one character is uh, Goose's son. Wow. And wow. I immediately suggested that it has to be played by Ryan Gosling. Because what is a gosling but a baby goose, and nobody thinks that's funny but me. <laughs> People would go Some watch it too. Under this. Yeah, <laughs> I think my so I've I've heard various uh, rumors about like what type of aircraft they're going to show in there. Like mm-hmm. a, a really early one was that it was going to be about kind of like the need for a human pilot in an airplane versus like mm-hmm. oh. the prevalence of drones. Uh, going on, I think my favorite though when they released, I want to say it's an official poster, right? With the helmet, with the F eighteen in the background. Yeah, F eighteen. Uh, part of a Tomcat group on Facebook, and somebody took it immediately and erased the F eighteen, put an F fourteen <laughs> in the background. Like, yes, yeah. we're excited now. <laughs> I remember Megan sent that to me when when somebody oh, released that. She was like, like here they fixed the movie poster. You know? <laughs> They're actually Net- filming right now on an aircraft carrier. Though. Are they really? Yeah, they cool. just posted this morning. Wow. Now, otherwise, it could be that Maverick defects to Iran <laughs> because he's the best Tomcat. Tomcat pilot in the world, and they're yeah. still flying him over there. True. Yeah. We got to get those back, man. How do we get? Uh, how do we get our Tomcats back from Iran? That's my ultimate dream. Really, yeah. is to get one from Iran. I'm I'm aware of that. Anyway, I yeah. just go over. Although <laughs> you just blew your plausible deniability uh, out of the water when when one goes missing and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shows up at the EAA museum, hastily repainted. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's pretty simple. Um, just single-handedly fix the relationship between the U.S. and Iran, and uh, then we can have all the Tomcats we want. Let's do Middle East peace first, because that'll be easier to lay the okay. groundwork. Then yeah. solve the Iran problem. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Problems. <laughs> when solved. do we leave? Yeah, we're solving problems on the green dot. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> tuned in thinking this was an aviation podcast. We're, we're tackling real issues. Yeah, we're here to change the world. Um, a uh, a far less well known movie that's uh, that's in production coming out in just a couple of months now. I've just seen the trailer for it. That everybody out there should uh, should check out uh, for varying reasons is uh, is a Chinese film called Airstrike. And last time we talked about Sky Fighters, the Chinese Top Gun, in which uh, Maverick is the bad guy because he. You know, he thinks for himself. Um, but Airstrike is uh, more of an, an historical drama. Uh, but from uh, all I can tell, is it's a Chinese production. It's an all Chinese cast except for Bruce Willis, uh, which is sort of an interesting get for a homegrown production like that. Uh, and it's about uh, the battle around uh, around Chongqing, so the Chinese and the Japanese uh, fighting. And there's tons of aviation in it. But but from any, the trailers I've seen, there isn't a real airplane within a thousand miles in this movie. <laughs> it's very hyper detailed but still very sort of cartoony uh you know waves and waves of betty bombers and lots of brewster buffaloes uh diving into zeros heroically when they're when they're being shot down and stuff like that but um i will not only see it i will own it so i'll report back <laughs> we gotta, once it's out. gotta bring up always and a guy named joe oh yes um i actually have a panel off of an a26 in my office that's uh, painted with the fire eaters artwork from always um Awesome movie. It, it's a neat remake. It's actually, in some parts, word for word a remake right. of A Guy Named Joe. Yeah, so Guy Named Joe, 1943, Spencer Tracy, um, P-38 pilot, and uh, and but that same basic storyline. He He's lost heroically, spoiler alert, but early in the film. 
and uh, sort of comes back as a spirit to guide the the young rookie through it. And of course, always we take it from World War II to fire bombers, which I thought was pretty brilliant to not yeah. try to just remake the movies. You know, sort of not exactly the first brilliant thing Steven Spielberg ever did yeah. was making yeah. that choice, but. Um, but to make it firebombing so that you still had real airplanes and real drama and danger and things like that, but you didn't have to try to make it a period piece. Speaking of always, um, I always kind of consider the two to be kind of somewhat spiritually linked as uh, uh, Forever Young. Oh, yeah. yeah it's a good movie. Because yeah. it's yeah. kind of same era, same type of air, general type of aircraft. Right. You know, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you got Mel Gibson. theme. Mel Gibson in Forever Young and flying B twenty five. Exactly, he's a B twenty five pilot, and then uh, he's frozen, yeah, cryogenically yeah, yeah. frozen, yeah, um, and then uh, and then comes back, and there's some cool sort of air show stuff and warbird activity. Yeah, don't want to spoil the end of it, but it is pretty cool. Uh, I, I think, think it's the, the Chino Air spot. Show is where yeah. it takes place. Yeah, and the interesting connection there. I'm pretty sure Steve Hinton was one of the the pilots. I mean, that's always a fair guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. There's yeah. a. I'm pretty sure it's that movie. There's a scene where there's a, a little boy with some ice cream. That like it's just a real quick clip, and he's like huh. awkwardly staring. Huh. Um, that's Steve Hinton Jr. Oh, really? Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a great huh. piece of trivia! That's I gotta, I gotta go watch that again. I haven't seen that movie in ages. Huh. It's, you know, it's it's very much an aviation theme, but they're sort of flying at the beginning and flying more toward the end. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not yeah. uh, cool flying throughout, but it's still, it's fun. It's charming. It's worth uh, it's worth a watch. And, and like you said, you know, very similar uh, similar era. Um, another one from around the same time. Um, that uh, uh, always pops into my mind is called uh, For the Moment. This was a Canadian production, and it was, uh, but it was a period piece. And it's uh, it's Russell Crowe uh, and and a cast of I think otherwise fairly unknown actors, uh, but Russell Crowe's first big movie, big-ish movie, um, and it all takes place at uh, a, a British Commonwealth Air Training Plan base in I think it's Manitoba. It just we're on the plains. Uh, during World War II. So there is, it opens with, and here's my bias, it opens with some of the most beautiful tiger moth footage you'll ever see on film, just this moth cavorting over the clouds. And you've got Cessna cranes, and, uh, which also near and dear to me personally, uh, Avro Anson's, you know, fleets and stuff around. And it's, it's a simple, sweet, not super high budget film, but lots of good airplane stuff. Can I just uh, riff on that Canadian theme for just a second? You sure can, eh? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, not a um, not a not a drama, but a documentary that is really really good. It's a little hard to find here in the U.S., but it was a TV miniseries called Jetstream, and it's about um, a class of Canadian prospective F-18 pilots that are going through uh, flight training at Cold Lake, Alberta, and. It is kind of, you know, it's kind of done in a, you know, real-time, quote-unquote, reality style. But if there's any manufactured drama in it, they did a really good job hiding it. It's just, it, it just seems really good, really honest, really in-depth, actually. You get a lot of technical details in there of the actual, the flights that they're doing, the stuff that they're actually learning. There's some mock dogfighting in it from the actual training that is really, really good. I did not realize that they still get that close together, you know, when they're, when they're doing a uh, mock gun drills and stuff like that. So um, it's really worth checking out if you can get your hands on it. Tom, is, is that the one that you and I checked out? Yeah, uh, I think we saw a few clips of it. Yeah. There, here's one that uh, almost ended a friendship uh, on this list, and uh, that's 
That is uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> um, we watched it in our house. I didn't realize that the movie took place in real time in 1968. Right. Uh, From 1968 it, to 1974, yeah, I think. It, just, it, like, it is about a six-year commitment. I needed to, to shave in the movie. middle of this movie. <laughs> like, and it's, it starts off so good. Like There's all this cool hardware, and, and it's a Vietnam movie. And then it just goes off uh-huh. into this weird tangent of, I you know... So in the movie's defense, it is a modern interpretation of Joseph Conrad's The Heart of Darkness. Uh, it was Joseph Conrad, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember my yeah. English. Okay. Uh, I always want to say William Conrad, but he was yeah. uh, he was the other guy. And, uh, and then, Chris, I think your comment at the time was, what, that's it? He just walked away? I'm like, yeah. yes, Chris, that's the point. <laughs> I felt the movie insisted upon itself. <laughs> See, and to me... That, I wanted to watch Convoy. <laughs> that movie is is uh, Ride of the Valkyries and Swarms of UH-1s. Yeah. And it's just, and it's cool. And, you know, it, it is one of those movies, though, that you... That uh, you're sort of, it feels like you're not allowed to really criticize it. Well, it's, just, well, yeah. it's a classic, yeah. and it's, it's. Uh, I appreciate it for what it is and what went into the making of it, but it's, it's not, it's not like the feel-good hit of the summer. It's not <laughs> one of those. To me, it's not an uh, overtly rewatchable movie until you haven't seen it in years. Frankly, it's not really a war movie. It's well, a, yeah. and I went into it thinking it was a war. I hadn't seen it in a very, very, right. very yeah. long time. Yeah, it's a psychological. And I drama. went in, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I was, I, I was all for it when. Flying Hueys and there's PBR boats and I'm like, man, this is awesome. The next thing you know, they're like cutting an ox in half and, and I'm like, what is this? You know what? And, and, yeah, you guys are glued to the TV. Like I said that night, I wanted to watch Convoy. Yeah, and, and we went a Convoy. we went a little bit of a different route, but uh, yeah. Convoy. Oh my god! You can't go wrong with a movie that has a theme song. Okay? That's true. The theme song was a, was a hit too. Yeah, it was. We're hearing it on the radio yeah. all the time. As a I still listen to it. Confused kid in the seventies. Oh, so Connor, what else is on your oh, sure. uh, your <laughs> list? Connor, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be talking Convoy and Dirty Harry, Crazy Mary, and that's a good every one, which man. way but loose. Yeah. Oh, Cannibal yeah. Run. You're hitting all my favorites. Yeah. Great, great movies. Yeah. So, uh, why well, would be? It, it just wouldn't be right if I didn't bring up The Aviator, because uh, I come from uh, background. I studied radio, TV, film in college. Uh, I did a lengthy paper on the cinematography behind The Aviator. Now, to uh, be clear, we're talking about the Leo DiCaprio Howard right, Hughes yeah. biopic, not the Christopher Reeve film by the same name. Right. Which is a, a, a quiet favorite of mine. Right. Um, and so, I, I mean, it hits on a lot of stuff we've talked about. I guess one, you're talking about CG versus real airplanes, uh, you, you think of the airplanes of Howard Hughes and like, wow, that's that's an undertaking to not use CG. Right. You think of this Bruce Goose. Uh, and actually, a company called Aerotelemetry built very large-scale RC models uh, that they did the filming of the H-1, uh, the XF-11, and the, the Spruce Goose, or the, the Hercules, I should uh, say, uh, which is really cool. And there, um, there's uh, there's footage out there of the actual models themselves, and then they show the, the film footage, and it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's a great kind of in-between CGI and real aircraft. Was the replica of the uh, the racer still around then? I was thinking about that, and I don't think so. I think they had right. planned oh, to use really? it, but it unfortunately crashed. Oh wow! Like right well, before filming. And I remember when uh, when I was involved in that Rocketeer podcast, I was thinking the same thing because there's a huge H1 or the you know, uh, but that's a full scale mock up because that was quite a few years before the flying mm-hmm. replica was built, um, which is was such a tragic oh. tragic loss of you know a pilot an airplane when that uh, that airplane uh, was lost. Um, 
you mentioned uh, the large scale model stuff in there. Now it wasn't all necessarily uh, RC models, but um, a couple of films that are well, one that's a guilty pleasure and one that's sort of a one that's more just guilty. Um, but in that mid '90s ish time frame, Con Air and mm, the remake mm-hmm. of Flight of the Phoenix. Yes. So Con Air, you got a lot of good C one twenty three stuff. Um, and then the Flight of the Phoenix remake, uh, you've got the C-119 compared to the original C-82 uh, from the, the uh, mid-60s uh, version of the film. But what I didn't realize, there was a model worker that uh, that reached out to me who uh, actually did work on the Rocketeer. But he and his company built the giant scale models for those two films, for Con Air and, and Flight of the Phoenix, and they were one-fifth scale. Wow. <laughs> so to give people some perspective, you picture a good this is how I always remember. Picture a good classic uh, GI Joe that they're twelve inches tall. That's one sixth scale. Wow! So imagine a C one twenty three big enough for GI Joes, and then make it, you know, yeah, make it that much bigger. I need that. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or the C one nineteen. Of course, the original wow. flight of the Phoenix, a C eighty two packet crashes in the desert. Yeah. And they build a hybrid airplane out of it, and uh, that film to me, I once I found this out, I I haven't really been able to watch it all the way through even though it's a great movie. Um, but Paul Mance, uh, yeah. one of the two original flew-in-everything movie guys, uh, was killed during the making of that film. They mm-hmm. built a they built a hybrid airplane out of uh, BT-18 parts, largely, yeah. and uh, he died in a crash, and then they, they, they used a substitute airplane, um, which is now under restoration at Chino, um, for, uh, for the flying footage to make... To make it so the movie didn't have a, a tragic ending, as even though the making of the movie did. The uh, a lot of people don't know the C eighty two that's used in the shots of the movie where the planes together. That's the one that's now in the Air Force Museum. Same oh, airport. that is same airport. Yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember you told me that. Saw yeah. that in the restoration yeah. center on that yeah, last the beautiful, last tour. They, they down did there. a beautiful cleanup of it. It's gorgeous. Very cool. So can I uh, bring it back to uh, kind of documentary serials for just a second here? Yeah. Um, Hal, I noticed in your notes you, you have Spitfire Ace in here. Yes. That's that's a favorite of mine. That's uh, For those of you who don't know, that is they took basically a group of uh, people from different backgrounds. So they had like civilian pilots, mil- current military pilots, and I think a couple of guys off the street. But what they were trying to do is was come up with the profile of your typical Spitfire pilot at the time of the Battle of Britain and where they came from. And then they took them through approximately the same amount of training. Right. Yeah. And so you, you, you Tiger Moth, Harvard, uh, then into the two seat uh, two seat Spitfire. And I was trying to remember too. Was there was there somebody in there who was already a pilot, already a fighter pilot? I think they did or take a current RAF fighter. They pilot. They may have yeah. done that. I'm also conflating it a little bit because Ewan McGregor, uh, yeah, his brother is an active duty RAF fighter pilot, and the two of them have done some documentaries together of of. Uh, flying and exploring old some of the vintage warbirds as well too so it's i I could be as i said conflating those two the ending of it also is just very emotional they've got um they they bring in an actual battle of britain pilot put them in the spit put him in the spitfire and kind of show some shots of him flying the airplane overlaid with some some quotes of uh, you know some some um uh, some interviews with some of the the pilots of the time it's just really I don't recall how readily available it is. I do have copies of it, uh, of Spitfire Ace. And there was a follow-up, too, that was uh, it was well done. I don't think it was quite as compelling somehow. And maybe that's just because I'm madly in love with the Spitfire, plus there were Tiger Moths in, the, in Spitfire Ace. But there was one called, it was Bomber Crew or Bomber Command. Okay. And same premise, but they took a group of people and, and, uh, and then put them in the Lancaster, uh, you know, after going through the other sort of training, training regiments, things. But... Um, Again, as uh, as the reality stuff goes, you mentioned the Canadian series, these British series, you tend to see 
and forgive the stereotype, you tend to see a bit less manufactured drama and just more look at what we're doing and how cool this is. Yeah, I feel like the, the like the 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 British and kind of the Anglosphere uh, spin on the reality series is 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 better done somehow, but that's just me. Well, there's one on here I have to bring up because man, me and my me and my dad would watch this. And especially in reruns was Baba Black Sheep. Oh, of course. I mean, oh, definitely. Uh, I got to bring that up. I mean, I think that inspired so many people to just love the Corsair. Uh, there's a lot of people who aren't really airplane nerds, but love the Corsair simply because of that TV show. They remember seeing the show. And that was Steve Hinton's first uh, first sort of movie slash TV flying gig, too. Was it really? Yeah. It was wow. uh, the, the first thing he did. Now, Connor, uh, as we're recording this, what were you doing yesterday? Uh Actually, I was checking out uh, a Corsair that I believe was used on Baba Black Sheep. Uh, oh, it's yeah. John O'Connor, his new, well, it's an F4U-7, but it's painted up as an AU-1. Um, yeah. Really cool. Yeah, it's actually easy to pick out his airplane in the show because it's the only later model that's on there. The other ones are F4U-1Ds uh, or FG-1Ds or whatever. Um, but because his is a later model, it has the cannons in the wing. And the kind of the the little scoop under the cowling, mm-hmm. so you could you could pick it out really easily. Yeah, it was on the show. That's that's awesome. Ours uh, wasn't in there, was it? No. Okay. No, ours was ours was actually uh, the first Corsair to race at Reno. Oh, really? Yeah. And when we say ours, we're talking about the one that's on display here in our uh, EAA Aviation Museum. Yes. Just to be yes. clear. Well, actually, I was the, talking about the one that Chris and I own. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I thought you were talking about uh, the green yeah, one, yeah, the, yeah. the official the corporate airplane yes. of the green dot. Yes. It's Corsair. Yes, yes. Our airplane was green, actually. Then there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So, also on the documentary front, um, I see you have the IMAX uh, movies in there, which actually I've seen both. Uh, so, The Magic of Flight, which follows Blue Angels primarily, and then uh, Fighter Pilot. I saw both of those at the Milwaukee Public Museum IMAX, which is a dome-type screen. And so, pretty much your entire field of view um is taken up by the screen and the, the especially in magic of flight i mean the flying scenes are spectacular it's probably the closest you can get to like actually being there without. and that holds up to this day i mean obviously the experience of watching it at home on dvd or blu-ray is not uh is not nearly as impactful especially with the with the dome i think i saw it twice in imax once in one of the dome theaters mm-hmm. and once more standard just on the the giant screen and uh, you do absolutely feel like you're there um, and I've got to say uh, hello and thanks to, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing the last name wrong, uh, to Bert. I'm going to guess that it's Donye or Danya, uh, as he was one who commented and, and called out some of his favorite IMAX movies as well. That's good, good stuff. Well, we can't we can't talk about documentaries. Uh, how can we go another podcast without mentioning One Six Right? Oh, absolutely, one of True. my favorites. Yeah, One Six Right. Brian Terwilliger, a love letter to GA and to the the Van Nuys Airport. And uh, and then a, a follow-on, a very different theme, but I think also a spectacularly interesting documentary, Living in the Age of Airplanes, both by uh, Brian Terwilliger. Both. I'd be surprised if there's anybody listening that hasn't at least seen One Six Ride a few times. Um, but if you haven't, boy, just go just go check it out. Put it in. Get the Blu-ray. Get the, the newly remastered version as it is just absolutely luscious. That shot of Clay Lacey's United DC-3 yeah. landing. I could, I, I could watch that all day. The part of it where they summed up your solo, yeah. uh, I was really, man, they really nailed that. When when there's there's a sequence where they, they talk about what it's like when you first find out you're going to go solo by yourself. And that uh, that was pretty cool. I actually bought a copy of that to give to my parents. They you know, were the ones that put me through school. And I just was like, here's why I'm such an airplane nerd, because they're not. And, uh, and they kind of got it. It kind of at least gave them a peek at 
why we enjoy this so much. It really captures it. I, I, I mean, I, I just go to the opening sequence, which, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, you can find on YouTube at, um, under, yeah. I think, Brian Twilger's account. Um, but, you know, just they, they, they it's kind of a, a sequence of both historical stock footage and current day operations at Van Nuys Airport. And it really is kind of an illustration of how we are doing today. Uh, in many ways, the same things that, you know, the pioneers of aviation did. And it's just, it, it's a really nice link between those two eras. That I think they did a really good job capturing. And <clears throat> I, I agree, uh, absolutely agree completely. So a wholehearted recommendation, I think, from all of us. Um, very, very quickly, before we bounce on to the next film, I've got to circle back to Always and a Guy Named Joe. I had made a note that uh, another listener, uh, Chris is it Saucier, or Saucier uh, he had also written us and said, you know, Hey guys, how could you possibly miss these two? And <laughs> absolutely right. Always has been a favorite of mine since the day it uh, day it came out. But uh, uh, Chris, you were sort of gleefully making uh, making some hand signals a moment ago <laughs> about one that I know is a favorite of both of ours. Oh yeah, I gotta mention Air America. Um, really, really neat movie about the CIA uh, operation in Cambodia, Laos, uh, flying a variety of different airplanes and sort of the wild guys that did it. Uh, little did we know that we would have a friend and museum volunteer who uh, was one of the uh, inspirations for the film and actually worked on the film a bit. And then how you got to uh, introduce what, the producer and writer of the, of the film. Right, yeah. Uh, we had both the, the, so the writer, who was also a, a producer, and, uh, and then uh, your friend and docent, Weird Neil. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Weird Neil yeah. would like to you, lives up to his name. Yep, who uh, had, who carried coloring books on the airplanes with him, and and uh, and that whole scene uh, crashing three times in one day. Yeah, that yep. really happened to uh, to our friend Weird Neil. My favorite story um, is Neil would get on an airplane before everybody else and sit in the back, and then the plane would load with passengers, and then he would start to gripe about how this airline never leaves on time. And he'd go, well, forget it. I'll do it myself. And he'd get up and walk into the cockpit, <laughs> fire up the airplane, and just take off and watch everybody freak out in the back. <laughs> and that's one of those movies that uh, there's a couple of things that stand out about that film for me. I mean, it's it's uh, you know it's a it's a fun uh, sort of you know action comedy drama sort of thing from uh, uh, what right about 1990, if I remember right. Yeah, I think. So. And um, um, so it's you know it it takes a, a serious topic and it puts a lighter spin on it, but it's. It's also one of those that, that Chris, as you've gotten entrenched with uh, some of the Air America folks, and certainly my limited exposure talking with Neil and a few other people, uh, it is a little bit more realistic than, than uh, <laughs> yeah. that people give it credit for. But it's also one of the last, uh, you know, it's, it's about a year before the Rocketeer. It's one of the last, um, all the airplanes in it are real yeah. movies. You yeah. know, we just, by the time you get into the early and then into the mid-90s, we see more and more CG or we see you know, more enhanced model work and things like that. Not that that can't be beautifully done. Like you're talking about the aviator, you know, you had no choice but to build giant scale models. And it was, that's an art form in and of itself. But, you know, I could watch the, one of my favorite scenes in Air America is that porter that lands on that ridiculous yes. dirt hillside yeah. strip. Of course, now in the days of YouTube, you can search, you know, <laughs> dangerous airports and short runways and crazy <laughs> off airport yeah. landings. And you see, you see tons of that kind of stuff. But when that movie came out, like when I bought my VHS copy yeah, right, before right. the Blu-ray years later, that was one of the only ways you could on demand just watch cool flying stuff yeah. was to mm -hmm. put one of these movies in. My favorite part of uh, learning about that movie was Neil was like, well, you know, there was a lot of unrealistic stuff that happens in that movie. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, thinking of all of the craziness that is in this film. 
And instead of thinking of like the craziness, I was thought he was going to come up with like, oh, I didn't really freak people out with coloring and coloring books. And I didn't really actually become like a Buddhist monk and all this stuff. Instead, he was like, well, you know, if you flew helicopters, you didn't fly fixed wing and transfer back and forth. And I'm like, wait, that's out of all that stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> that's the movie, the like, that's the thing. stuff you're picking out. <laughs> Speaking of helicopters, that that whole opening uh, or not the opening sequence, the opening sequence is a C-123 doing the drop, yeah, which is yeah. so cool. Um, but then uh, shortly that when we first meet Robert Downey Jr.'s character and he's in a Bell 47J, yeah. uh, very, I don't think I've outside of a museum, I don't think I've seen one. Yeah. Uh, since and it's a you, you start with a bell 47 your typical mash bubble helicopter and sort of build some more structure around it and make it a four-seater um, but he's flying that as a for a as a news or traffic reporter and he's just hovering right down there in the traffic jam and starting to kind of lose it uh, and it's so cool to see well then it, it, when we got a bunch of the air america guys together one of them brought up the uh um you know the scene where they hoist robert downey jr up and fly him to work suspended yep. underneath the uh huey with uh free ride playing right right another you know, and, great soundtrack and um you know and i was like oh yeah that's gonna be one of these things that they're gonna talk about how oh that was unrealistic and then instead they're like oh yeah that was remember we did that that was billy or whatever <laughs> you know, and i'm like wait what you know they're like oh yeah we really this guy was sleeping he would sleep through anything so we tied him up and flew him under a we sling loaded him to work one day <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because why not <laughs> yeah all right i know we're running long here but i i gotta ask you hell i see it in your notes was there really a Lassie episode about the Strategic Air Command? <laughs> what a fitting way to uh, to wrap this up. Yes, there uh, there was. It was a two-parter episode of Lassie, and there was a whole other sets, sets of TV stuff we talked about. Twilight Zone, Outer Limits. So we're going to save a bunch of stuff for Volume 3. But yeah, two-part Lassie episode called Peace is Our Profession. It was shot at uh, largely on location. I believe it was Vandenberg Air Force Base. And uh, um, you've got... Lots of it, it's mostly about Lassie, like making friends with a couple of other animals. Like there's a there's a bird, like a goose of some kind that's laid its eggs like right next to where this missile launch is going to happen. And so uh, so Lassie, the, uh, the the brilliant collie that she was, is basically trying to stop the missile launch to save these uh, save these little baby birds. Um it's when you think you've got sack and nuclear bombers and then <laughs> and then a bunch of little chicks and a dog trying to save them. It's just like this absolute culture clash you know showed out it's like we gotta nuke the commies wait there's baby birds um <laughs> i thought it was gonna be and, like a plot like like by dawn's early light which is another one we can oh talk right about. another yeah, one we talk from about that area actually. yeah, yeah that's true seattle fair child and spokane yeah, and stuff. Spokane, rather. but yeah the lassie uh, the lassie episode that was one uh, my brother the world's biggest b52 fan would always look forward to and again, in the days before any kind of on-demand or VHS or anything long before that, you just you watched TV Guide and you waited for the cool episode to come on. And for Lassie, it was that because tons of B-52 flying. So in the later part of the episode, there's a, there's a little dog. He's a little bit sick who somehow gets aboard the looking glass airplane that's going to be scrambled and you know handling radio communications. So, so Lassie has to let everybody know about that too. So the whole episode is about... You know, Lassie rescuing animals, rescuing animals that are too close to something Sack is doing. But it is, it is uh, just a feast of cool B fifty two stuff. So you know, I was kind of hoping for you know some drama in there. Like, uh, damn it, Lassie, that's a valid launch code. And you know it exactly. <laughs> yes. Or you know, Timmy has the codes, but he's down the well. So how do we how do we launch a strike? I don't know. But anyway, um, as uh, has been mentioned a couple of times, we have gone uh, we have gone long. It happened the first time. It happened this time. And once again, I'm looking at these notes and saying, uh, "How did we not mention the, these other 40, 50 things?" So we're going to just have to do this more more frequently. 
rather than sort of several months apart. Uh, so big thanks to uh, those of you who uh, had commented uh, with some suggestions, and uh, I know we had a few of you, and uh, apologies if I butchered your names. Um, thanks, as always, to everybody who takes the time to engage with us uh, on the blog posts, on social media, sending emails to feedback at ea.org to let, to let us know what you think of the show. Uh, that means the world. The reviews on iTunes and uh, all the other online sites, um, those reviews are absolutely the reason we were able to, as I've said many times, to take this experiment and turn it into a thing. So uh, with that, thanks again to all of you for listening, and we will see you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>